Hey, Nick. Yes? Do you like horror movies? Oh, you know I do. Do you like weird, extreme, taboo, and cult horror movies? Of course. Okay. They're my favorite kind. Well, I've got some news for you. Because MVD Entertainment Group and the popular Rue Morgue magazine have teamed up to launch the Midnight Movie Society. What? Yeah. They are a curated subscription video on demand service specializing in extreme underground, taboo, and cult horror movies. Now, genre fans can gain access to a film library of shocking underground, outrageous gore, creature features, cult classics, and much more. Those with a taste for the weirdest and wildest reaches of genre cinema will not be disappointed. The bigger platforms are catering to the masses and have gone puritanical in many cases, making it very difficult for filmmakers to reach their audiences, says Ed Seaman, COO of MVD Entertainment Group. MVD has a great deal of this type of content, and when it is live on major platforms, it performs really well. Maybe too well for some of the mainstream platforms. The Midnight Movie Society will also cater to more traditional horror fare as well, pulling from the thousands of film hours from in MVD's vast catalog. In addition, Rue Morgue will also be finding and curating fresh and unusual content for the service. Adriana Dober, director of programming, says as larger streaming platforms continue to crack down on content, there's an urgent need to create a space for boundary-pushing films unencumbered by strangling content restrictions. That I don't know why that word was so hard for me to <laughs> strangling. say. Strangling. Strangling, especially given the content. As a lifelong horror fan, I'm proud and excited to be working with MVD Entertainment Group and Genre Champions Rumor Magazine to bring Midnight Movie Society to the masses. Rumor Magazine is a name that everyone can trust. It's actually a horror magazine I used to buy back in the day, and they're Canadian, so you know they're extra fucking weird. And nice. Yeah, and nice. Best of all, Midnight Movie Society is supplying all of our amazing listeners with an opportunity to get on board and try the service out for themselves. If you go to www midnightmoviesociety.com you can save 33% off your first three months of Midnight Movie Society by using the promo code SHAMELESS SHAMELESS! SHAMELESS! We have our own promo code! Yes, you heard me, you will save a whopping 33% on your first three months. That's just insanity to me. So, once again, go to www.midnightmoviesociety.com and use the promo code SHAMELESS S-H-A-M-E-L-I-S-T Shameless. No spaces. No spaces. All one word. Shameless. It's like you're yelling it at someone. Yell it at the promo code, but also make sure you type it in. How have you been, Nick? Um, that, that peaked. Hold up. It's, okay. It's been a kooky, crazy <coughs> week. Um, Why is that? We're having an air conditioning um, system installed, which... Nice. If um, their estimate yesterday is accurate, we will have some working units by the end of the day. So, holy crap, thank God. That's great. Um, like, I, we have air conditioning, and it honestly feels like we don't. <laughs> We're, uh, we, went, we didn't want to put duct work into our house, um, so we got a mini-split system. Which are okay. those, like, they're really popular in Europe. They, like, they hang up kind of high on the wall, and they're this... If you if you imagine kind of like a futuristic European window unit air conditioner, but not in a window. Okay, okay. It's, like, up high on a wall. I think I'm following you. Um, so we're, we're getting those installed. Um, 
Then what else? Oh, uh, then this morning I had to go film PSAs for, you know, COVID-related PSAs. Um, and that ended up being just the from a production, not even a produ- production standpoint, but uh, it there are many departmental agencies involved in making those happen. Mm-hmm. And they're... There was some communication issues amongst them and differences of opinion, and it ended up being emotional. And But we we pulled it all together. We got it there. But then I just got a call um, that my kid's daycare is shutting down because they just sent a teacher home sick. And, oh, they, no. have, and they have to wait till they get a COVID test done before they can... Or they have to get a negative COVID test in order for them to reopen. Mm. Um, so like everything's going into lockdown around all the kids that have been there. So I'm trying to figure out next week what the hell I'm going to do with all of that. (laughs) You've had it rough. (laughs) So that's been my week. How about you? (laughs) Uh, my week has been, oh, actually I, I, I can't even lie. My week has actually been pretty good. (laughs) All things considered. (laughs) Like, I, I guess I'll start with today. Well, first off, I'll say you're getting air conditioning put in and I have air conditioning but the air conditioning I have sucks. Where even down, like, so upstairs, it makes sense that it's no good because we've only got two vents for the entire upstairs. And our upstairs, as you saw, is the entire length of the house. One vent in the office, one vent in the in the bedroom. That's it. Oh. Um, so, like, even a situation like right now where I'm up here, I don't even have the air conditioning on. Because, like, right, honestly, it would be worse up here with the air conditioning on because I don't have to have windows closed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I'm up here without that, and like, but like, it's sad, sad to know that even if I had the, it's it's a good couple degrees warmer up here. Uh, just like in the winter, it's colder up here. Um, they did a poor job building this this <laughs> this everything up here. You just disappeared. Oh, there you are. Uh, they did a poor job building all that for me. Um, and then even our downstairs kind of sucks. Where the other day it was like 83 in the house. I was like, okay, that's kind of warm. I turn I turn the thing on. It was running for about three. It was running for about two hours, and it got down to like eighty-one. I'm like, how is it taking so long? <laughs> and burning through ridiculous amounts of energy just to make it the same level of uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, like you know, I guess you can stand next to a vent and feel cold air, so that's kind of nice. <laughs> but uh, on, other than that, I've been doing good. All I can say is I'm very, I'm very glad I'm a hydrated person because of how how warm the house is. Like in a daily basis, and I was thinking about this. This seems crazy to me. On a daily basis, I drink about two pints of coffee <laughs> and about two and a half liters of water. Yeah, that's like, that's that seems like a lot. <laughs> my my coffee intake isn't quite that high, but my water intake is. Um, though I'm sweating it out so fast, I, I think I'm net neutral. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it's, things have been good. Um, I've, I'm still writing my revisions for Swine, which are, uh, I feel like are, are coming together pretty well. Um, like I said, I write, literally right here, I've got my, I converted one of the closet doors into a board. And I've just nice. got like all, I, I have a lot of my scenes written up and I'm just kind of, it, I'm essentially just trying to do the whole process of killing your babies early on because yeah. <laughs> I absolutely hate rewriting. And 
A big part of the reason is, I think, because I never used to plan. So I would put so much time and energy trying to think out this scene and how it's going to tie into the next scene that the thought of having to cut one of those scenes out is just so emotional for me. But like <laughs> when it's just a card on a board, that's not nearly as bad as having to you know write interior dot house slash nighttime and then you know figure out the scene and who's talking and why and what they're saying it's like i could just figure out the beats and like okay this card's not working buy fucking card (laughs) or move it or move it and not have to like change how i wrote it to make it fit right i always used to tell myself i'm not i was not part of it was because i'm gonna get a little personal here for a minute so i've been sober since you've met me yes but I, dr- I I drank a little heavily when I was in when I was in late college, especially when my dad was sick, uh, and that's also when I had my largest turnaround of writing, because part of it was I had no inhibitions. Right. Yeah. The... So I'd, I'd stay up late and just write anything. It's also when I had the most amount of my amount of my successes, and I had like two films and a music video all back to back, plus going to Cannes. <laughs> And, you know, and it's like, it's kind of like a whirlwind. And then when you stop drinking and it, it, it coincides with a dry spell of not making stuff, you start getting a little bummed out. Like, why? What happened? The, the false association yep. of success. With and I even know that's the yeah. case, but it's yeah. still like kind of bites at me a little bit. And then the film I made when I was not drinking wasn't very good. It's not bad. It's just, I I jumped into it. I was very arrogant. And I was like, I want to make an, I have two films. I want to make a third film so I can make a director's reel. And, you know, I I got a script from a a writer and it was a pretty decent script. And I thought I could make it better. And it was a whole thing. It became a whole, I didn't even make that director's reel. That film exhausted me so bad. I never made a director's (laughs) reel, (laughs) which was the whole point of making that film. It took two, took three years of my life to finish a short (laughs) <laughs> um so but like back when i used to drink i used to just sit down and pound out pages like no one's business and i was also really inspired by writers like kevin smith who can do that or or larry cohen who he'd always just say i love writing myself into a corner because that's when you have to get the most creative and like i love the the thought behind that until you write yourself in a corner and you're like what the fuck am i supposed to do <laughs> Uh, and I always used to tell myself that I had this mantra that I didn't need to plan out. I like the purity of just writing or whatever bullshit. And realistically, it comes down to the fact that I was just too, uh, I was too lazy to sit out ahead of time and come up with my entire idea before I started writing because I thought that just the idea alone was good enough to propel the script. And that's yeah. never, it's very rarely the case. <laughs> so now I'm kind of going back to the drawing board and figuring out the best way for me to write and it's stressful, but yeah. it's nice to know that once I have this board done, the hard part's done. Yeah. It's then just writing the scenes. I've I've found the the moments that I tend to be most excited when I'm writing tend to come in the rewriting process. When I'm able to I I every time I finish a first draft, I always think it's garbage. And truth be told it is. Like I've it, it's not there yet. Um but there are these magic moments that I've had in rewriting where I'm able to take something that was mediocre and all of a sudden it's starting to click and shape and um, I start to get excited about it. So I've, I have had enough of those experiences that I um, kind of relish the rewriting process. And I think the it's part- getting that first draft done that's hard for me. 
the part that's sometimes really hard for me is when I'm looking at, and I, I've had this happen with, with scripts that I'm currently working on, where it's like there's these scenes that I love, I think are golden, or I think are really clever, or whatever, and people read them as like, no, this scene's not working, this scene's not working, or this scene's shit, and it's like, and like those are the scenes that you are so confident in, and then the scenes that you just kind of like, I just need to write something to get past this page, and those are the ones that work, and they're like, <laughs> no, I hate that scene, how is that the one that's working? No, uh, and th- that's hard for me, um, and because I'm kind of yeah. in a re- I, while I'm writing doing realistically like the seventh draft of this script but you know it's the first time kind of coming at it from this angle I've been writing this script since I finished high school pretty much yeah um and then uh, uh I'm I'm trying to get another film going a short uh it's uh, I think I was sent it to you it's my script about the guillotine yep yep uh, I'm going through some rewrites of that right now and working with my producer on that. And we we were just about to do test footage to see like how, how easy it is to re- digitally remove someone's arms and shit. <laughs> and then COVID happened. It's like, okay. We, ah. we, it, in, in the, like, it, we were planning for like a Monday. And I think like it was like on a Wednesday, the, week, the Wednesday before, they were like, okay, no more than 50 people in a room. And then by Friday, they're like, no more than 10 people yep. in a room. And like, oh shit, that number's getting way smaller today. <laughs> <laughs> but right now me and my producer we're at this point of doing some he wants me to rewrite and we to to really figure out the best way to shoot the finale of that sequence because this film because it's uh without going into detail on the podcast uh there's so there's so many effect shots in that this film that we have to really detail out like a shot list for it right yeah and uh so he wants he actually he asked me if he could do some storyboards just how he pictured it and i was like if you want to do extra work feel free <laughs> he's like well for you finish the script i'm gonna storyboard what i imagine and then when you're finished with that you storyboard and we'll kind of figure out the best way to shoot it so that way we can figure out like if we're going to be digitally removing two arms off of a person how much are we going to see how can we trick this how can we fake this right all that stuff so that's why I've been pretty good. I feel like I'm kind of back in the momentum of things and just just the fact that you're working in in a story is really mm-hmm. awesome and I'm envious and I'm trying I have one project I think I told you about it um, that I'm trying to get back into writing and every time I think I'm gonna have like a slow week chaos happens and i haven't been able to jump honestly buddy it's the same thing for me and it's not necessarily in the same way because you actually have to go out and shoot stuff and then you've got kids and everything but it'll be like even this week like i i had a my my buddy kyle and i we we skype once a week just talk about where our scripts are at and just kind of keep each other motivated and i got really excited after that but i couldn't handle the heat up here so i was like okay i'm not gonna work anymore i was up here for three hours (laughs) And I just can't handle the heat anymore. Because like, I'm gonna work on it tomorrow. And then that day came, and I had to run errands all day. Yeah. And then the day after that, I had to run errands all day. And today I'm doing this. And then, <laughs> or and like I'm not complaining. Like it's not a bad thing. Or like there'll be some days it's like, okay, I'm gonna put time into the script, and I realize, oh wait, I gotta edit an episode. No, I gotta do that instead. <laughs> and it's just kind of like things get away from you. And totally. Or then the heat's just too bad. I'm like, I can't do this. <laughs> The, the effect that the heat has had on my ability to focus and just do simple tasks has been pretty brutal. However, for, I kind of like that it's hot when it's writing. Like, uh, because it almost, and maybe this is just me being very esoteric and weird, <laughs> but it almost kind of feels like a sweat lodge then. And, yes. like, where I'm up here just sweating, 
I don't have any stimulus other than not have the internet, but like I don't like watching stuff on the internet, so I'm not really just too distracted. I've got the and I've got records, and I'm just sitting up here staring at a board, sweating, <laughs> probably getting delirious. It's it's great for imagination. It's not great for like when you're like working on an edit or something, and then you're you're tuning out of everything you're listening to. But yeah. like when I'm writing. Uh, Kyle actually, my buddy Kyle said it best that he 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 can only write when he's bored. Okay. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I'm, and I'm thinking about. It. I think I'm kind of the same way because when I'm bored, my brain turn my brain shifts gears, and it works differently. I and write I start m- m- daydreaming. I write best between like 10 p.m. and two or three in the morning. Um, I wish I could write at those times. Um and. I tend to write much better when it's when I'm when it's like cold out because I like putting on my big thick frumpy sweaters and some like slippers or you know some big poofy like Chewbacca. You just like it later. I like that like hunkering up in something and then I can like really that's when the words start really flying. It's it's funny for me. It's like uh, I I get that. And I for me though, it's like so it, writing when it's really hot and writing when it's very cold. Either one kind of sucks for different reasons. But like when it, <laughs> it's hot, it kind of goes back to my like I just kind of start melting in the chair and I just do nothing but daydream. But like I feel like if I'm if I'm too cold, like I'll focus. It's like these socks aren't thick enough. My toes are really cold, and I'll just keep <laughs> thinking about that and then just never do anything. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while since I've done late night writing. I should again, but anyways, to re-answer your question, I've I've been good because I'm <laughs> doing creative stuff. Can I talk about what's been grinding my gears lately? Yes. What grinds your gears? <laughs> so, I love the drive-in. Yeah. I think we've talked about this in the show. I love the experience of it, and there's drive-ins out there that are struggling. And with the movie theater business kind of fucking tanking right now mm-hmm. for obvious reasons and not many movies coming out, so there's not much they could show anyways, they're all struggling for money. And I get that. What I hate is, and I want to get your take on this, I see on the internet all the time people are like, oh, yes, it's finally time for the drive-in to come back. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I can get that. Maybe you'll start supporting these drive-ins or whatever. So many fucking businesses, and it really just culminated with with my last example that i'm going to give here in a minute so many businesses are like throwing up screens and being like we're a drive-in come and see (laughs) us and people are going to these fucking things instead of supporting the legitimate drive-ins who have been putting time and money into this for a while and aren't just doing a quick cash grab like a local baseball team is charging 30 dollars a person to watch a movie in your car yeah. Well, you can go to a drive-in. Yeah, you have to drive a little bit further, but it's $10, sometimes $10 a car. And they, they, they've got a better setup. And like what, what if, like, you know, Marcus is do, like, Marcus, I kind of give a pass because they are theater anyways. Sure. But like what really annoys me is now Walmart of all fucking places is talking about wanting to put up a screen and do a, a parking lot drive-in. And the irony of this is how many drive-ins were demolished to make room for Walmart. <laughs> right. And it's just, it, it's, it's, for me, it's rather sickening. A person who's been a champion for these things for a while and want to see them make a comeback for people to be like, yeah, drive-ins are coming back. Let's go to this one at the baseball field. Let's go to this one. No, support a real fucking drive-in. Don't support these people that are just doing it so they can make a couple extra dollars when when people aren't making as much money. Yeah. You know, it, 
in in times like this, anything independent is going to suffer more. Mm-hmm. And we as consumers need to put our money where in into the things that we want to see survive. Yeah. Um I wasn't horribly bro- you know, I I'm still working. I mm-hmm. I've managed, to, you know, um so I I made it a point to support when I could the my local game shop that I yeah. don't want to go under and you know one hundred percent I throw money at the comic book store that I like totally um, so you know I think fundamentally there's that there's and things are unfortunately going to to go away with time and if there's enough route you know if there's enough interest in something but. What, for, for, first off, I had two reactions to what you said. One is just rights. Like, if a baseball team is holding a drive-in, like, chances are they didn't get the rights to show that, and that's just mm-hmm. illegal. There's, oh, yeah, you know, I'm wondering how often that... Like, how many people are paying for the rights to show Jurassic Park or Jaws? Because those are the two biggest exactly. films. Exactly, yeah. Um, I actually had um, a community member call the station the other day to say they wanted to show an outdoor movie and is that something that they're allowed to do and it's like first off you know google it (laughs) yeah but but outside of that it was a conversation about rights and public domain films being an option and um so so that but then yeah the idea that walmart is turning into a drive-in if if somebody is interested in going to a drive-in go to an actual drive-in if that's an option for you yeah and like we have one about 40 minutes from i know it's not super close but the baseball team which fucking packed them in is in is in franklin so it's yeah. like jefferson you, you know wisconsin jefferson is not that much farther than franklin so it's like yeah go a little bit further and and then there's like i wonder if the people that went there were the the baseball team was holding a fundraiser so they went to support the baseball Mm -hmm. team or if they wanted to go see a movie and went to that you know i can understand it more if they went out to support the baseball team they liked more than they went yes they wanted to go out and see a film and that and that I can get and that I can get, I guess it just like, it it, it irks me just be, for the sheer fact that. No one cared about distribute like no one cared about publicly showing films. Until now, yeah, and like and it's and it just it bums me out that so there's a a, a drive-in that I like quite a bit in McHenry Illinois. That the only reason I've not gone and supported them is because they're not doing pre-sale tickets and they're limiting capacity. So I, I don't want to drive an hour, half drive, hour, 40 right. minutes and get turned yeah. away. Like I'll, I'll drive to the one in Wisconsin 40 minutes and if I get turned away, okay, whatever. Um, but they had a whole thing where the, the health department almost said they couldn't open. Right. After they sunk a lot of money into the making sure they can be open and safe. But then... You know, a fucking baseball team just throws up a screen and it's like, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna do this." Right. Like, what's the difference? Yeah. 
And then, like, honestly, like, I, I think it's smart to show things like Jurassic Park and Jaws and the stuff that's going to bring people in. But I also love the weirdness that comes with some of these drive-ins. Like, the one in Jefferson, uh, Jefferson, Wisconsin, is called the Highway 18 Drive-In. Can I read this triple feature to you real quick, sure, Nick? Sure, yeah. They, this weekend, July 3rd through the 5th, they are doing a triple feature. And you'd think, okay, 4th of July, Jaws, that would make sense. <laughs> yep. Their triple feature is Chicken Run. <laughs> like okay i like chicken run it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been my first choice also keeping keep i'm gonna say chicken run rated g and watch how these ratings go chicken run rated g back to the future rated pg okay you know as you get a little bit later in the night the kids are falling asleep something for something for everyone film three psycho yeah <laughs> <laughs> Chicken Run, Back to the Future, and Psycho. <laughs> Triple feature. <laughs> like, I'm sitting here thinking, it's like, that type of ballsiness can only come from a place that's been doing this for a while. <laughs> it's, it, it makes me think they're like, hey, what do we have in the back that we can play? And they, well, this one, we could, you know, is more of a supply thing. Yeah, and I just saw the triple features. Like, I want to go to that just because it's fucking weird. And it's like, it's funny. Like, I've seen since COVID started, and I guess I'm not blaming people for trying to make a buck. Like, sure, whatever. Like, I don't have to necessarily like it. Uh, it's just when it's it's very clearly there not to supply a service, but to make as much money as possible. So normally when Marcus, Marcus Theater shows a classic film, they charge like five bucks, maybe ten. And, you know, I've seen something like Jurassic Park at a Marcus Theater and paid a couple bucks. The fact that places like this, these pop-up drive-ins are charging 20 to $30 a person. It's it's when it's the when it when it's very obviously price gouging that it yeah. bugs me. Well, and and it's always hard for me to support any company where there's some billionaire at uh-huh. at the top of the chain who is becoming richer while everybody else like literally with with since the pandemic started, I think the top like are all of the American billionaires, their wealth went up by 50%, I think. Yeah. While everybody else is struggling. And yeah. it's it's hard for me to want to give my money to a company, especially knowing how, like, employees tend to be treated there. Yep, 100%. But anyways, I had to get all that off my chest just Ooh. because... <laughs> It was bugging me. It was very much like when when the Gone with the Wind shit was happening. It's like, okay, I got to talk about this. <laughs> and I, that bothered me so much, I had to talk about it twice. <laughs> was there anything else before, before the movie? Um, 28 minutes well, in. Well, <laughs> when, I, when I was five years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I guess if not, let me take a sip of iced sip coffee. Of, oh, I'm going to take a sip of water for the working man. For the dehydrated man. This movie 
podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements, endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers and with me, as always, is a man who teaches his kids complex fraction because he believes the future is theirs, if they can count. (laughs) Nick Richards. Like, where are you? Oh, okay, I see. Oh, I spent like way more time on that than I should have. I was deep. I was scouring quotes from the movie, and it's like, yeah, I can do the popsicle line or boppers, but it's like, uh, let's let's see what I can do with this. <laughs> um, on today's episode of the Shameless Picture Show, we're discussing a film on Nick's Shameless and one of my favorites that made a big impression in my formative years, Roger Hill's. The cult, cl- sorry, Walter Hill. I don't know where I got Roger. Walter Hill's cult classic, The Warriors. The story of The Warriors is simple. The titular characters, The Warriors, are a street gang from Coney Island, New York City. And while they aren't the biggest or strongest gang in the city, they're tough and they've got a solid reputation. New York is run by hundreds of gangs throughout the city and they fight over little bits of turf. That is, until a man named Cyrus calls. He's the leader of the Gramercy Riffs, the most powerful gang in the whole damn city. Cyrus believes they can run New York if all the gangs bind together and fight back against the tyrannical police. Because if they work together, the police will be outnumbered. All is well and good until, unfortunately, Cyrus is killed by Luther, the leader of the rogues. Worse, the cops are now overrunning the meeting spot. Worst of all... Luther has blamed the murder of Cyrus on the Warriors. It then becomes a desperate race for the Warriors to get all the way back to Coney Island with every gang in the city out for blood. The Warriors, as a movie, was the brainchild of producer Lawrence Gordon when he discovered a book with the same title by author Saul Yorick, which told the story of a small gang called the Dominators. I've actually read this book. While the basic plot remained the same, Yurk's book delved into deeper themes of friendship, reputation, and sexuality. Gordon thought it'd be a cool idea for a movie and asked young filmmaker Walter Hill to step in as director. After they had found success with their prior collaborations, Hard Times, which I talked about as a rev- on a review episode, nice. and The Driver. The film was a box office smash in more ways than one, because not only did it make a lot of money, but it caused a lot of violence in theaters. Walter Hill believes the violence was caused by young people, especially ones in gang, liking the films, liking the film, and rival gangs would be rival gangs would be in the same theater watching the film together, and it just kind of became a combustible element that they were in the same spot together for a longer period of time than they probably wanted to be. While it made a lot of money, a lot of critics found the film to be shallow and relied on broad generalizations of gang culture, and they also didn't like the stilted, uh, stylistic dialogue. Ebert. Roper, you know, those guys, and the LA Times and even Time Magazine all gave the film negative reviews. However, Pauline Kael from The New Yorker, of all places, actually liked the film and called it a movie maker's movie. Uh, she would actually call it, say it, it has, in visual terms, the kind of impact that Rock Around the Clock did behind the titles of Blackboard Jungle. The physical action is so stylized that it has a wild cartoon kick to it, like Yojimbo in the best kung fu movies. 
The fighting is so exhilaratingly visceral and so contra-nuptial. I don't know that word. In the oriental martial arts dancing matter that you have no thought of pain or gore. So of all people, Pauline and Caleb, the New Yorker, loved the film. The Warriors was directed by Walter Hill from a script written by Hill and David Shaver, produced by Lawrence Gordon, with cinematography by Andrew Laszlo and music by Barry DeVorzan. The film stars a group of relative unknowns uh, in Michael Beck, Deborah Van Valkenburg, Marcelino Sanchez, David Harris, David Patrick Kelly, and probably the most notable, James Rebar. Trailer, trailer, trailer. Trailer! These are the armies of the night. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? The Furies. The Boppers. The Hi-Hats. The Lizzies. The Turnbull ACs. The Gramercy Riffs. Riffs! And these are the Warriors. We know about the Warriors. They're a heavy outfit. They're from Coney Island. Warriors? You guys are the big dudes, huh? Now, they're in the Bronx. We're going back. 27 miles behind enemy lines. It's the only choice we got. Between them and safety stand 20,000 cops. <laughs> and 100,000 sworn enemies. I want them all. I want all the Warriors. They've got one way out. They've got one chance. They've got one night. The Warriors. In a world. <laughs> In a world. The Warriors are warring against other Warriors. <laughs> I don't know. I was not anticipating that to be so long, but it just kind of happened. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it felt it felt right. <laughs> yeah. So, Nick, this was on your shame list. It was. And, uh, you you had sent me a, 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 a text that made me feel good when you were like, that was better than I was expecting. Yeah. So that was a good sign. And, and I'm, I'll clarify, I wasn't expecting to not like it or for it to mm-hmm. be bad. I just I get that knowing very little about it. What I did know um, was in there, but that's mm-hmm. not what the movie was. The movie I think was um, more special than the very loose concept that I had in my head. So yep. I I walked away from the film being kind of excited by it. Good, good. Sorry, I'm just pulling up my notes real quick. I took yeah. a, I took a little bit. I, I kind of got enamored into the film, and at one point I was like, "Oh shit, I should uh, start uh, <laughs> taking notes." So you did like the film? Yep. Um, what did you like about it? I guess let's start there. Um, so I I was expecting gang fights, New York st- gritty New York style street fights, and and gang brawling. Oh, and you got that. I, and I got it um, with amazing costume design that I was not anticipating. 
honestly that opening montage when like the really kick-ass synth scores playing and you get an idea you just get little tastes of all these gangs it just makes you like oh i want to know more about them i want to know more about them <laughs> who are the moon runners <laughs> i like how it went from like they're showing the the warriors and you're like okay and then they show the the guys in the like pink sparkly vests yeah. and you're like oh that's different and then they show the fucking mimes. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what the fuck did I just sign up All for? Com- and they're just standing there completely unironic. Too, yep. just like, no, yeah, this they're... is a fucking get up. They're, they're not, they're not going to say it. They're just going to shake their fist at you because they I w- can't talk. They're mimes. <laughs> I was disappointed when the um, when we're in the... I mean, we're in the subway for a lot of the film. But, but later on yeah. in the subway... When you saw the the dude on roller skates with the denim overalls, I was really disappointed that the Dane costume was just the overalls and it didn't include the roller skates. Like it was just the one guy on the roller skates. I know. Actually, I I I always think that it's like, oh yeah, this is the roller skating gang. No, it's just one guy. But boy, does that guy leave an impression. The bibbed overalls gang. Yeah, well, th- funny enough, they're called the punks, and like, why? <laughs> but I guess if everyone in this movie looks like like they're in a punk band, the one bu- band that doesn't that should looks get the more name. like Dexy's Midnight Runners. <laughs> yeah, actually, I was thinking like the, I was I would have called them the Menaces because they look like Dennis the Menace. Oh, nice, nice. And yeah, sh- I, I'm, as we do, I got off track. Um, what something that I really liked about it is the opening scene. The, mm-hmm. the whole sequence is really narratively big. Mm-hmm. Like, it's this all-out, like, th- like, let's bring all tens of thousands of gang members together to overtake the... Pl- like, it's a big concept. It's also very uh, uh, timely. Oh, super timely. Oh, I was thinking that in the, like, oh, damn, what? Wh- how about that shit? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Um, so, so you get this really, like, you're anticipating this really huge film, and then Cyrus gets shot, and the cops raid the thing, and then it becomes more like, uh, like the fugitive or something. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's the wrongfully accused, we need to escape, almost all of it takes place that night. Um, really insular and claustrophobic, um... And so it it diverted my expectations in a way that was really interesting. Um, to to get it out of the way early, I think um, it 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 was actually kind of like surprisingly uh, handled race well, mm-hmm. and I think it handled um, gender really poorly. You know what that is, don't you? Yeah trouble and based on your comment about the book which i i wasn't aware that this was based on a book i wonder how the book handled it like if there was something deeper in the in the book that kind of got kind of but uh i was i will say i i've not read it since high school so i'm not an authority on the book sure um i do remember scenes in the book reminding me a lot of the movie or vice versa i guess i should say but i saw the movie first yeah and it was like oh i can see where they took some inspiration to, from it and 
who uh, the character of Mercy in the movie. I don't remember what her character's name was in the book. There is a character like her in the book, and I would say the book is actually a little bit more mean spirited to her. Okay. But in the end, you know, I feel because it's a book and they can they they have a little more time to play. You can play with misogyny and sexism more be, uh, because you have you have more time to kind of progress yeah. it, and the characters kind of learn something, and there is a love story in it, and. Um, uh, I do have thoughts about the character of Mercy, which we can bring up a little yes, bit later. Yes, as do I. Um, but, I think the 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 only saving grace to those issues, and it's uh, as as we discussed with Ghostbusters, like it wasn't enough, but it also wasn't as bad as it could have been. One hundred percent. In that, whenever there was a problematic encounter with females, they the warriors tended to get their asses handed to them in the process. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and it was also isolated to one or two characters. Um, I think it was overly simplified in a way that mm-hmm. didn't do it, sir, it, it self service. Um, but there, you can make some arguments to, to, you know, make it not as bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like it's for the seventies and for subject matter and for the budget for everything the relationship between mercy and the warriors could have been so much worse yes yeah and it's still not like a it's not super well told yeah but there are some saving graces that make it a touch more pal- yeah. palpable and the palpable palpable, palpable, yeah. palpable. and the girl the woman on the park bench and mm-hmm. the uh, the girl gang, uh, oh, Lizzie's, <laughs> yeah, um, and, and again, could could have been worse, could have been a lot better, um, yeah. So, but but anyway, I really enjoyed. I, I was surprised to find myself watching a wrongfully accused escape enemy territory film um, that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. And uh, I said th- I saw this movie pretty. Actually, I wouldn't even say pretty young. I saw it somewhere in high school. But like, I feel like for me, high school was very formative in terms of my tastes and my opinions. And this is a movie that I f- saw for the first time on like Spike TV or some shit. They were showing it. It was a big <laughs> deal. It's like the first time on television in long time or some shit. It's the Warriors. And I remember like my history teacher of all people. This was her favorite movie. Hmm. And she's actually the one who lent me the book and let me read oh, okay. her copy of it. Um, and it, this was around the time that I was still skirting with the idea of making films. And um, Pauline Kale, like I said in my description, she de- she described it as a movie maker's movie. And the way I take that is it's a, a film for people who are into film there's a lot going on yeah you know that's why i kind of it's you know how you know in rest in professional wrestling they'll describe someone as a wrestler's wrestler it's a person that a that wrestlers people who are in who are steeped in this world appreciate more than the common fan because they can see things that he's doing that he's not and i kind of feel that way about the warriors because and a big part of the reason being walter hill is his style and his direction because i absolutely have an obsession of films where 
highbrow meets low when you take like a b plot or something that with a with a lesser director could just could be a piece of shit because we could all imagine what the bad version of the warriors could be yeah. like the director who's not as good i've seen warriors ripoffs that are just terrible we, we um, kind of described alien that way yeah where with a lesser director this movie could have been terrible but with walter hill's unique sense of direction and tone and ambience and funny enough, Walter Hill produced Alien, so there's something there oh, as well. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, uh, that being a person who just starts getting into film, I start seeing below the surface. Because I think it was in, around in high school that while plot was always is always important to a story, I started being far more focused on the technical sides of things. Or think like what's being said without being said type of thing. Like sure. the theory behind stuff and... And I just felt like while it's a very simple movie on the surface and people can watch this movie and enjoy it, I felt like there was so much going on beneath the surface um, that it's... And I saw this around the time that fucking uh, 300 came out. So, like, Spartans were everyone's favorite thing. <laughs> and I had seen this movie and it's like, oh, I thought th- even before the, the director's cut and, and the, the added intro, which I don't know if your ver- the version you watched had that... Um, I'll talk about that in a second. Okay. I, I, I saw the the how it kind of reminded me of the story of like the Spartans trying to get home, you know, type of deal. Sure. Um, I just talked a lot. Wow. <laughs> I, I thought of two separate movies as I was watching this at, at specific times. But since you brought up the Spartans, I'll, I'll share the parallels that I made. Um that opening sequence of all the games coming together and, yeah. and listening reminded me of the never ending story hmm. when um they they come to hear the person that represents the empress say that she's ill the way that all of these like highly imaginative imaginatively costumed people who came from all over the realm to listen in this like central place i was getting never-ending story vibes i can see that and then of course um clearly highly inspired by this film the the warriors filmmakers uh the fight scene in anchorman i can see it i can see i <laughs> if, wouldn't have put if, it together myself but if like, o- you have if only anchorman games. had been created first <laughs> Now I just I, I I wish they would have just riffed this the, in, the beginning of Warriors and recreate it with all the anchors and anchors. Right, <laughs> Action Twelve News Team, like the the way that like all of the the gangs yeah. had these like personalities and stories and weird na- the orphans mm-hmm. and <laughs> that was what I was thinking the whole time. Where's your mommy? You back off, Evening News Team. You know, I understand that uh, they had to bring a female in. Change your diapers. Wipe the dribble away from your bubbling lips. Rub Vaseline all over your hiney and tell you that it's special and different from everyone else's. (laughs) He said hiney. (laughs) Brick, get back over here. Hiney. Does she tuck you in, Ronnie? (laughs) Give you a little kiss on your forehead. Tell you everything's gonna be okay. I've had enough of you, Mantooth. This is gonna end right here, right now. Let's dance, dickweed. You wanna dance, Ronnie? I want a polka. 
yeah i like that 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 comparison that's great um but no like when i saw this movie it just it just really captured my imagination like it it's like this might be giving the movie a little more credit than it deserves or something because i can't but i can't cite a better example or earlier example than this where it just it was one of those situations where like it just really helped me see like what you can do with the medium it doesn't have to just be drama all the time it doesn't you know it almost like i liked horror at this time and i liked com- like it almost like opened up a new realm of like here's another door it doesn't have to be drama it doesn't have to be comedy it doesn't have to be horror it can just be moody and weirdly poetic and trying to say something but also not saying anything at all yeah you no know, I, like I, I it's it's interesting there there are a lot of most films you can go oh this is kind of like this movie or it's this movie meets this movie mm-hmm. and you know i kind of jokingly compared it to the never-ending story in anchorman it's nothing like those films yeah um the warriors is like I, you you could connect it to films but not in the same strong way that you can most movies like this yeah there is something very unique about the story and how it's told walter hill the director he's a really fascinating director alone just because you know he is kind of like this macho type director like i don't like using that term but you you say macho director you kind of create an image like you know hard times was a movie about about a bare knuckle boxer in the depression era the driver is about a, a, a crime getaway driver you know shit like that right the warriors is the warriors <laughs> he also did uh you know both 48 hour movies and he you know he's a very tough guy type director who's who's really likes westerns and shit like that he's he says every movie he's ever made is a western uh, okay. That's just kind of the way he thinks. Um, but what I find interesting about him is once you start seeing his films, you start seeing that while, yes, he has these qualities, he's also really interested in the human side of people. About what goes on beneath the surface. You know, because, yeah, he could just have one-sided characters who are you know, blowing shit up and fighting, but he's, he's, mar- he, he's very interested in character. Yeah. And um, in his own weird way, emotion. So. Nice. Um, I, I, I am glad that this film was made when it was. Mm-hmm. Because if those motherfuckers had Uber, it would have been like a 10 minute movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the same time, though, it's New York. Who knows if that would have been. Have you been to New York? Yeah. Yep. That traffic is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> well, it, you know, that actually brings up another observation I made um, is how empty they made New York feel. Yeah. There were almost no extras in this film until those prom kids came onto the subway towards the end. Everyone you saw was either a gang member or a cop. Yeah, and I imagine part of that, though, is New York City in the 70s at night was not a safe place to be at. Yeah. So I imagine that, and like, it, it was very isolating. It was. It I, was I liked that. Very isolating and, and empty. It, it, like how we talked about the, the isolating vastness and ravenous. Like, I kind of got that same way in this film in a way that no other 
New York City based film would because there's always going to be people in the background mm-hmm. and that lack of of other people made it feel like they were like they had such a far way to go and it's also interesting too because it's a film that was shot on location in New York okay but one would almost feel that it was shot on sound stages somewhere because it's a New York City movie that does not feature any New York City landmarks sure um Raina did who who grew up she grew up in Jersey so she was Joy-Z. in New York a lot there was one hot dog stand she saw in the background of one shot and she goes oh i read uh, papaya something papaya what? is a hot dog stand and she's like oh the famous hot dog stand that's fantastic <laughs> but she was surprised in seeing that because she kind of had, had the same thing to say in that you know for an for a new york city based movie there was no visual anchor to tie you to the city in the way that most films do yeah, it's, it's funny. When I went to New York, you know, there's a lot of New York City movies that, you know, you could, oh, I want to go see the 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 exterior of the library from Ghostbusters. Right, or yeah. I want to see, you know, the building that King Kong climbed and shit like that. For Like, I was, I was quoting Warriors obsessively. Because, like, well, for some reason, when I went to New York that time, there's a lot of New York movies that I love, but that was the movie I kept thinking of. You were just calling and, everyone wimps. Yeah, you wimps. Uh, they were a uh, bunch of wimps. And actually, I remember we tried to go. It just—it wasn't near anywhere that we were going. But I really wanted to go to Van Cortland Park just so I could see the park where you know Cyrus tried to get everyone <laughs> together. And but I did get to go to Coney Island. And I will say it's kind of crazy. Like when I when I when I watched the movie and I, and I was always like, how far can Coney Island even be? And it's I just looked it up. It says it's like from where they warriors start to Coney Island, so it's thirty miles. Okay. And I was like, okay, this doesn't seem too terribly far. But I've I haven't I, I haven't go, I didn't go from from Van Cortland Park to Coney Island. I just went from Brooklyn to Coney Island, and it still took like forty five minutes to an okay. hour on a train, and they had to hit multiple trains and everything. I was like, yeah, that's why it took all night. Yeah, um, but it was kind. Of, I got really really excited because when we got to Coney Island, um, I was super because you know that that the final scene of the movie when the the train pulls up to Stillwell Station and they get off and you can kind of see Coney Island in the background and everything. I was super excited for that view. They have built a giant fucking train station there now. So that <laughs> that section, while you still get off on Stillwell Avenue, it doesn't look like it did in the movie. Sure. However, Coney Island, they've really cleaned up over the years. Or at least the boardwalk. I've people even who who native to Coney Island said, "Don't go too much further off the boardwalk." <laughs> um, it looks just like it did in the movie, just a little bit cleaner. Nice. Cool. Like the the Wonder Wheel is still there, and I got to go on the Wonder Wheel, and um, I I found that a surprisingly effective visual marker because they show mm-hmm. it at night in the it it might be the first shot, but it's in one of the first few shots, um, and so at the end when they arrive the next morning and they show the Wonder Wheel, like that shot it. Not them getting off the train, not them in the daylight, even though you've only seen them in the darkness. It was seeing the Wonder Wheel, and I went, oh, wow, they're home. Like, yeah, even though I, I don't know what the Wonder Wheel is or that it's in Coney Island. Just but from they established it, that thing, yeah. It, it was it is, surprisingly effective for me. It's it's funny. Like th- This line is obviously more poetic, and it feels more like a Greek 
tragedy because of it but swan at one point in the movie says we're not home until we see the ocean or something like yeah. that yep. it's like no you're not home until you see the wonder wheel but that doesn't <laughs> sound as is poetic as we're not home until we see the ocean we're i always think when i see the ocean that i'm safe yeah it's like when i see the wonder wheel i know we're safe when i'm <laughs> when i'm when i'm illuminated by the wonder wheel's glow <laughs> the glow of the wonder wheel <laughs> But actually, so I mentioned uh, the the Greek tragedy aspects of it, and yeah. um, so I had hit on those. The I didn't hit on that the first time I saw the film, but I hit on it shortly after when I read the book for the Warriors because Saul Urich um, wrote he 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 made the parallels to um, the Greek story in the book and he and, and it might have even been his his introduction his introduction for the book was hysterical by the way because it's ba- the story of the warriors is based loosely on the story of an uh anabas um uh, or uh anabasis which is the story of I, i'm not gonna pretend like i know but it's yeah. the uh it's the a group of of soldiers trying to get home okay. in Greece. um and throughout the novel, characters actually read a comic book version of that story, so they're they're directly drawing parallels, kind of the way that uh, the Watchmen was doing that. The Watchmen comic was doing that with like the story of the pirates and everything. Okay. But um, um, he had mentioned the whole sp- uh, Greek tragedy thing in his intro, uh, and he his intro is funny because he has nothing nice to say about the movie because it's <laughs> so different. He said uh, he's he's he he said I remember going to see. The Warriors on in its premiere, and uh, if I have anything nice to say, it's that I'm glad they spelt my name correctly. <laughs> um, but so I, I I then after hearing that had started connecting the that tissue. There is a director's cut of the Warriors that I really can't stand. Um, okay. Where, Walter Hill talks about how this was his original intent. And I hate when directors say that because even if it's true, it feels like a line where <laughs> he's like, it's a comic book. It's I, I view this like a comic book. And I feel like if you don't view it like a comic book, he keeps saying comic book. He really is trying to drive it home. I remember you telling me about this. Yes. He's like, it's a comic book. And I, and he's like, if you don't view it as a comic book, it doesn't work. And I disagree with him there. I think it, it's just weird enough that it works on its own. To be very frank, I've always kind of resisted these, um, special editions of films uh, where the director explains things. I am temperamentally against that. I think that the movies should speak for themselves and not demand special explanations and um, long apologias. But I always felt with The Warriors that the intentions of the film, the comic book origins, the historical connection to the Greeks, and the slightly futuristic quality to uh, what I was trying to do had never really been stated and never been presented to a large audience. So I very much appreciate the chance to, I won't even say get it right. There may be the argument that other people will say they like the other version better. That's fine, I understand that. I only say this, this will represent my intentions when I was making it and trying to uh, put the thing together. uh, better than the original version, and I very much appreciate the opportunity that uh, 
has presented itself to do that. So he went back into the film and digitally added these comic book transitions where yeah. some scenes would just freeze frame and then they'd get drawn and then it would do comic book panels to other pages that were seeing meanwhile and shit like that. But he then really gets very on the nose with his 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 connection to that Greek story by adding a new intro where he's reading it. It's him reading about the 10,000 soldiers who are, who have to find the ocean to get home. And it's like, it actually kind of hurts the film because it becomes very on the nose. And it sounds like the version you watched did not have this. Yeah, no, it did not. Any version of it on physical media, DVD or Blu-ray that's currently available has this. Okay. And I, I, it hurts the, it honestly hurts the film for me. Yeah. I still love the film, but it's it's I've I've only seen this version for so long that I kind of forget how some of these film how some of these scenes transitioned out because it's <laughs> so on the nose. Or like even the ending where that that beautiful shot of them walking towards the ocean and doesn't it like freeze it freeze frames, doesn't it? Uh, no, my or does my, it just fade out? My recollection is they start walking down the beach and the credits roll. And but there's still like it's this mm. long single shot of them just continuing to kind of like enjoy the water and walk down the beach as the credits and roll. I love that ending in the the director's cut. It has them walking and everything, and and then eventually freeze frames and it it becomes like a comic book panel, and then we just sit on the comic book freeze frame for the rest of the credits. And I was like, no, like it, the original ending fucking yeah. worked. One it thing. Just, uh, because I criticized Ravenous for this, I really, uh, it stood out to me how much I liked the opening titles um, over the the wide shots of the subway train at passing these empty, again, empty platforms um, and the like spray painted red yeah. uh, font kind of like always done. It was like early graphic perspective that mm -hmm. modern films do really, really well. Um, it, it looked like this might have been kind of a, a precursor to that. And this this film, so there's there's things I love about this film in a stylistic standpoint. Uh, one thing I love, and I especially noticed while watching it on Blu-ray, is it does not show its age. The music still feels very contemporary yep. and it works. Um, the film does not look like it's as old as it does, like... The Blu-ray, at least, has been is 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 immaculate, and like I don't even I see very little film grain, but it doesn't look like they've like removed it. It's just a very immaculate looking film, and it, I like that it's not afraid for the film to be dark. It's there's some really dark scenes, and it doesn't feel the need to overdo it with light. Because I think yeah. I've talked about this in the show. One of my big pet peeves is when there's night scenes that feel as illuminated as they do during the day. Right. Yeah. Um, and then just like, I love this, the neon look of the film and it, and I say neon, not in like in, you know, bright pinks and blues and everything, but just like the neon look of these subways and yeah. that kind of like minty green fluorescent light bulb look that you don't get very much anymore. There was a, a shot mixing of mercy and swan walking through the tunnel. Oh um, yeah. And then all of a sudden that, that switch track light. They don't show it. They showed it earlier to, again, establish it, but then it's on their faces and, like, mid-conversation, their faces just turn, like, bright red. Mm -hmm. And then it finishes out the conversation. Um, like, the mixed light sources from a cinematography aspect is always something that I've loved. 
yeah. added to these difficulties was the subway. Photographing in the subway, every element had a big asterisk next to it, and on the bottom of the page it said that the asterisk meant impossible. From my point of view, the difficulty once again came from the technical shortcomings at that time. The subway cars, for instance, had a certain type of fluorescent lighting built into it, part of the design of the car, so there was no such thing as turning them off and putting up my lights. What I decided to do was that, first of all, I borrowed some of the tubes from the Transit Authority and uh, my electrical crew made up very makeshift lights for fill and modeling within the car. But we couldn't really correct the areas outside of the car. New York City, for instance, as seen through the windows of the subway cars or the tunnels. And what we did, we just mixed it with so many other colors that the hodgepodge of lighting, in fact, became one of the strengths of the photography. It was unusual. It wasn't normal. I don't know. I just Going back to the director's cut thing, I just feel like he he made it too obvious yeah and i don't know like it's it's okay if you if you really believe that's the way this was supposed to be that's cool but it kind of goes back to the george lucas thing like don't it's (laughs) i wish you'd make the original versions available for us yeah and um he even kind of makes he makes a comment in in his in his like director introduction that he's like you know some people for whatever reason think the the original version's better or something and it's like well because that's the version they like like don't and i might be misquoting him but it, to me it just feels right. very much like who are you to judge us Fuck you know off. what this you know what this is totally reminding me of what? in the very beginning of this episode when you were talking about the scenes that you've written and you think mm-hmm. one is clever and people are like no 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 and the yeah, one that you wrote it's... just to get through they're like that's it that's the good one yeah, and it's you know you don't know what people are gonna or people are gonna connect to, and yeah. that's that's the great thing about art. Like I don't know, I've, I I have very mixed feelings. This is this is kind of a tangent from the Warriors, but connected in its own way. I have very mixed feelings about artists, whether it be musicians or filmmakers or whatever, going back in after the fact and changing their work after it's already been available for everyone. And it's like it's your right to do it because it's your art, but it's it's you know it's out there it's it's it people have gravitated towards it i don't know oh, like... i i think there's a there we might be identifying a danger in trying to be too clever yeah like i agree um that 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 can start to undo what was good about a work of art mm-hmm. yeah um i found it interesting that you know uh Hard, hard, hard pivot. Um, I found it interesting that a film about dangerous games only featured one gun, or, or I should say, one character with a gun. I don't know if it, the gun from the beginning was the same one at the end, um, but it made it really meaningful that that one character had and used a gun when nobody else did now some of it was that all of these games were called and told to not 
bring weapons and for mm-hmm. the most part seemed to listen. So a lot of them didn't. But then, you know, these other Danes did have time to go back to their re- respective neighborhoods and get their weapons of choice. Some of them were baseball bats and switchblades <laughs> and knives and pipes and like like none of them school buses yeah like none of them had guns i found that really interesting yeah it's almost like it's it's and maybe it's even walter hill's view and i might be just digging too deep into this might be walter hill's view of like manhood where like because the one character uses a gun is arguably the most cowardice character sure yeah in the movie whereas the warriors you know they they use their fists when they can uh, or and then they'll 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 scrounge for weapons and they're breaking boards and finding whatever they can use and they're just showing the resourcefulness of it um, and their desire to accomplish their goal. Whereas Luther is just you know the leader of the rogues is just happy to drive around in his weird fucking hearse, you know, <laughs> steal candy bars and shoot people just because right. he likes that doing that sort of thing. Yeah. Yep. And it's funny. He tells a story, and the, there's a making a featurette on the Blu-ray that's pretty good. Uh, that he 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 remembers he had he had he had just done like hair or some big musical or some shit on Broadway, and that's when he got the role for this. And um, you know he'd done a lot of musical theater and shit like that. And <laughs> he's like he got the role to play this, and he's he he said that he remembers his mom seeing the film, and uh, and she she said makes some comment where it's like. You were almost tough in that movie. Almost. <laughs> almost. You almost said it. <laughs> and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm just wondering if the gun thing was something to do with that. Because, yeah, like they all went back to their own respective places. They could have grabbed one. Right. But it didn't seem like anyone did or chose to. Right. Um, and it's... it's yeah, I just love the energy of this film. I just I love that it's kind of chaotic and... Um, even when you kind of get a moment to breathe, like every time that you feel like, and you, you, I feel like you're kind of riding a wave with the warriors. Every time you feel like you get a chance to breathe, something happens and, you know, it escalates, you know, like even their thing with, with the orphans was going pretty well until mercy decided to show up and say she wanted a vest and mercy. It just became a whole fucking thing. And I love that the orphans, they wanted to have a uniform so bad that they just got green shirts and wrote orphans on the back with like they, magic They got some iron-on letters yeah. and yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, and, and Mercy's character is... There's both something where I know there's... They're trying to say something with her character. Yes, I, 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 I agree with that. Uh, I could be wrong. I will put that huge asterisk footnote on this. But from what I saw on the first viewing, I don't think they ended up saying anything worth saying with it. No, like, I think they... Oh, continue. There, There's this whole, like, I could have been something else, but this is the life that I have to live because of where I grew up thing. And, you know, the, the prom kids at the end when she's looking at them longingly. And she's trying this, to fix her hair and swans. Right, it's like, no, don't. Like this, like, I could have been that. And then he gives her the corsage and says, uh, I hate saying anything, go to waste. Which, you know, was his opinion of her in those train tunnels earlier. That that he saw her as somebody that went to waste. Um, 
but I I don't know. I don't think it was as enlightening as they were hoping that was going to be. And some of that might be the time. Maybe that was like, or you know, early versions of modern feminism as told by a white man, like who who a tough guy director. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something yeah that fell really short for me, and I would have loved for that to have for there to have been more to it i and one thing i I agree almost entirely with you there's a couple things i will say i do like about the character of mercy i like that she all things intended she's a kind of a she's a pretty she's a really tough character um and the 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 way that the warriors treat her at first is very kind of vile and she never plays the damsel yeah. She, it's, she's you know she's willing to mouth off to them and very much and like whatever happens happens type of thing but i'm not gonna just be silent um but then like i i weirdly appreciate how the way she was written was very much like yeah i know on these things i know i'm you know uh sexually active i know people don't have a view big viewpoint of me but i don't regret who i am I know who I am and I'm comfortable with that. And it's like, oh, that's kind of an interest, you know, she doesn't have this, you know, she kind of does talk. It's like, I could have been something else, but this is the light. This, this is the, these are the cards I've been given and I'm going to play these fucking cards. You know, she doesn't have that woe is me scene that you kind of expect her to have. Yeah. Um, I, and it's, all, it, oh, sorry, continue. Um, the way that I see it is like, there's, they thought, Let's take this one-dimensional character and make it two-dimensional. When everyone else in the film was three-dimensional, you know, all of the male roles were three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. So they did write a two-dimensional character that could have been one-dimensional. Yeah, but they still didn't like pull it up. I'm also wondering if something was lost in translation with Mercy, in that. So one thing I found out through watching the making of uh, about the Warriors is that originally Mercy and Swan were not supposed to have a thing. Um, there was a character in the movie named Fox. He had the he had kind of like the the curly fro. He's yeah. the guy that saw Luther shoot okay. Cyrus. He was the one who was just standing like the deer in headlights. Yeah. And he it was did also the take one... a while in the film to connect the names to the faces. <laughs> I still struggle with it, and I've seen the movie a bunch of times. Um, he, he was also in The Thing, which I kind of love. Oh, okay. But he, he, um, he, you know, he was the one standing there who saw Luther do it. Right. And Luther pointed the gun at him. And he was also the one that got launched into the fucking train tracks and ran over by a train. <laughs> um, originally in the script, Fox and Mercy were supposed to create a bond with each other and kind of have the relationship that Swan and Mercy did. And then they, okay. for whatever realize for whatever reason, and then Swan was actually supposed to get uh, separated from the group and get caught by and tortured and this whole other fucking thing. And then they decide at one point, it's like, ah, they don't need to do all that. Like, let's, they, they actually, what they had realized, they shot some of that stuff and they realized that Fox and Mercy weren't working and that she had more of a chemistry with the actor that played Swan. So it's like, <laughs> okay, let's just give Swan all those scenes and you know cut out this stuff and we'll just kill off i'm so i'm wondering if some of it might have got lost in translation as well um and it is also interesting that i'm able to read so much into the character of mercy considering and i'd mentioned this very briefly in my introduction the acting in this movie is i imagine very intentionally so very stilted and stunted and it's almost like 
it's almost kind of tr- it's like a, some of the art films that I've seen where they're they're they've got a, just a very interesting cadence in the way they talk to each other. Yeah. So, like I said, I, I completely agree with you. I feel like Mercy is not a a, a very well written character, um, but she does have a couple saving graces that, for the most part, make me still like her as a character. But I feel like there's so much more they could have they could have done with her. Um, yeah, and you know, yeah, I don't, I don't I, dislike her or the character. I, for for me, it's a, a writer director mm-hmm. problem where she comes off as incomplete. I think, like, I think yeah, her like, story, her backstory, the, was, the framework is all there to have a really interesting character. Well, I I think it it's oversimplified. To an insulting degree. Oh, interesting. If that makes sense. No, I kind of get that. Like, it it seems like, oh, we'll give her the prostitute with a heart of gold. Like, it, it feels kind of slapped on. And funny um, enough, I never knew if she was actually a prostitute or if she was right, just the woman yeah. who... Also, Swan came up with a whole lot of opinions about who she was I know. without really knowing anything about her. I know. It's like, and it's, I just, the, the kind of life that you live, what the hell do you know about the she life she's lived? She just showed up. Like, for all you know, you she don't could, know her. Yeah. For all you know, she could have been one of their sisters or something. Like, you don't know right? who she is. She didn't have a doctorate. And then, like, at the same time, it's like when Swan got all high and mighty. This is one of my complaints about the film. He gets all high and mighty about her place in life. It's like, dude, you're a fucking gang member. Right. You yes, <laughs> and you're not like. Granted, we don't know like they are the heroes, and but one thing we have to keep reminding ourselves is ultimately these guys are probably not doing very good stuff. Like you know, and I don't know if I would describe them as heroes. Well, with the, in, heroes in the way that they are the one, they're the protagonists that we're following. Yes, we're we're following them, but they didn't really. They they didn't really solve any like they got no. home. It's f- funny enough. So they they made a Rockstar Games who makes like the Grand Auto games and yep. the Red Dead and shit. They they made a Warriors video game back on oh, okay. the PlayStation Two and the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. And actually, I I had just I the it, it's like nine dollars right now on the PlayStation Store, so I bought it and <laughs> I, I played it before. But one thing I always remember finding really interesting. So when I first saw this movie, like I you know. I had still, I still had the association of protagonists equals, for all intents and purposes, good guys. They're the they're the people we like, um, and the Warriors game takes place nine months before the big meetup, and you have all this stuff that have hap- that that happens before that, and then the last part of the game is the movie. So you get a lot of backstory with these people, and a lot of the original voice actors come back and voice their characters, which is kind of cool. But like the first mission, you are—they're um, initiating the character of Rembrandt, which I fucking love that nickname. The guy yep, who does all the spray yep. painting, he's like, "Oh, the Rembrandt." <laughs> uh, they're initiating him into the Warriors, um, and they're like, "Okay, now that you got your vest and everything, we got to go make some money." And like they're like, okay, break into this store and steal this shit, or then steal this person's radio, and then we we're gonna use this to go buy drugs. I'm like, oh shit! It, it when I first played the game, it, it caught me off guard. It's like, oh shit! I thought these guys were good guys, and I was like, like no, I just thought that because they're the they're the protagonists. Yeah. Realistically, these are gang well, members doing shady shit. And I I was actually just reading up on this again for our Ghostbusters two conversation. 
they're the main characters. Heroes implies some kind of like that they're overall good guys. You know, hero, hero equals good guys. And I'm obviously uh, paraphrasing to an insulting degree. Main characters is that's who we're following. Protagonists are the ones that propel the story forward. Mm-hmm. So you could argue that the... I don't remember. I like the, that description, by the way. I like the, the the differences between those. Yeah. So the the protagonist can sometimes be the villain in a film, and it the you know it's hard to say who's the villain here. Well, the villain would be the rogues. Yeah. Um, they're the villains, but the protagonists, I think, are the the gang that put the hit out on the riffs. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, because they're the ones that are actually propelling the story. It's what they're doing that gets us from one story beat to the next. That's interesting. And and I'm I'm kind of shooting off the hip here, so I, you could easily steer me in another direction with with film evidence, but um, that that's just kind of where my brain's at at the moment. But yeah, they're not heroes. They're not the protagonists. They're just the main characters. Yeah. Hmm. No, I like that. <laughs> I and I guess one you could um, and it's kind of inter- it's it's interesting to reassess the film like that, where theoretically, based on your description of the difference between hero, protagonist, and and main character, is if the riffs are the protagonist because they're driving the story forward. I also really appreciated this this film's use of narration by using the radio dj yes and i immediately recognized her voice what is she from do you remember the game show slash television where in the world is carmen san diego yes she is the chief oh my god i think you're right and i i I imdb'd it like i'm like shit both both the look of her mouth because all you ever see of her is her mouth i'm like boy that mouth sounds looks familiar and god that voice sounds oh my god wait a minute wait a minute is that and then looked it up and sure enough yeah she's the chief (laughs) wow but no i i i loved that because i also think it's it's interesting because and once again this is another element that would not work if the film was made now because at this point in in, in in the United States, the radio is a huge part. So realistically, these gangs are probably all sitting around listening to the same radio station, especially too, because for whatever reason, this DJ spends a lot of time talking about inner city street gangs. Right. <laughs> like, I wonder if the station manager is like, okay, you got to stop egging the gangs on. And he's like, I'm going to do what I want to do and play Nowhere right. to Run for no reason. <laughs> it does. It, it felt very like pirate radio underground. Yeah. Like, um, and it's, I, I really enjoyed that element. Of and it's like, oh, it would make sense that that's where they're getting their information. And I imagine the Warriors, you know, since, you know, the TV's around, but it's not nearly as big of a thing. Um, you know, people are listening to the radio on so- hot summer nights with the windows open. They're probably catching bits and pieces of this as they're go- they're moving around. And then because of her, we get that just amazing on the nose. And it only works it being so on the nose because she intentionally played the song of Nowhere to Run yes. yeah. uh, or Nowhere to Hide when they're like, this song goes out to you. And it's, <laughs> of, of course, that's the song you, you would play. 
what what the radio sequences in this film do is what we were talking about with regards to exposition in some of our recent episodes. It allows the film to stay on the warriors. They barely cut to the rifts. They barely cut to all the all of these other gangs. Like they stay on the warriors almost the entire time. And they break out, you know, they split the party a bit and jump back and forth between them. But they don't have to jump to the rifts having they, they had one scene with them where they're all lined up yeah. to kind of kick off the here's what we're going to do and I want the Warriors alive or dead, preferably alive. But outside of that, like, they never had to cut back to the riffs. Every once in a while, it was just like two of their faces kind of quietly talking to each other for a second. Yeah. But they didn't even need that because of how effective the radio station like phone narration yeah worked. well i feel like um, they still did need the risk because they needed to show that there was still this group who's pissed who are who are still it's not just the gangs there is someone out there leading them and i feel like they they showed the riffs just enough yeah yeah but the the radio station got to kind of act as that exposition mm-hmm. um so that they didn't need these long drawn out scenes with the riffs Yes, yes, I completely agree, and I, and I feel like that's part of what I still am enamored by by this film. Because like, there's times like, oh man, I wish I could have, I like, oh, does the baseball theories does their does their hangout look like a dugout or you know like, <laughs> right. like you know who are the guy who are the moon runners who who's the guys with the purple jacket like I want to know more about these groups, but I feel like moon raker (laughs) i feel like just the getting just the little you know the little bites that we get of these of these gangs is enough to kind of satiate me yes do i want more yes do i need more no it's just like it's weird enough yep um and like yeah like it it would be great if like one day they could make i know everyone's against the remake to this but like i feel like an extension like maybe like a a, like a, a miniseries would be cool but at the same time we don't need it yeah. everything is, we've needed is in the warriors is there a sequel to this no okay i thought i i saw something on imdb but that might there the was talks game. for the longest time there's the video game which is a kind of a prequel and um and then there was talks about a remake from tony scott for a while um but um uh, that's about as far as it's ever gone Okay. There might be comic books or something, but um, yeah. I think um, I suspect I was looking at like a character's IMDb page and saw a second Warriors thing, and it was probably like the video game that they voiced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like I said, there was in 2005 there was talks about a remake, um, but um, that's that's about it. Um, yeah. Apparently, videos. according to Wikipedia, in July 2016, Joe and Anthony Russo announced they were working with Paramount Television and Hulu for a reimagined Warriors TV series. Frank Baldwin was signed on to write the series, and that's about as that's all that's been talked about out there. Okay. And I think uh, it also says you know there's there's probably they probably made appearances in comic books and shit and right. So. Um, so no, no official sequel, but like I said, it's, it's, it's kind of like what Kevin Smith said when he was talking about Beetlejuice, there was a period of time where they wanted him to write a Beetlejuice sequel. And he said, 
they wanted him to do Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian or some shit. And his, he said, and I quote, everything that needed to be said was said in the first Beetlejuice. Must we go Hawaiian? Or no, <laughs> must we go tropical? <laughs> and, I was, and it's, you know, it's the same way with this. Like, everything that needed to be said in the Warriors was said. Yeah. Like, and if they were to do something else, whether it be a remake or a sequel, if they do remake, I want it to be about a, still about the Warriors, but a different group i don't want to i don't want to see someone else playing swan or ajax like sure. maybe they're in this world still but it's not them but if if i were if they were doing anything else with the warriors i would i would like to be focused on different people i don't really want to know what happened to swan and mercy i don't want to know if totally. ajax ever got out of prison yeah let's follow other people who maybe are, who still are in the warriors but expand the world a little bit more yeah and and it's easy to imply from my viewing knowing nothing else about this world except for this film that there are dozens and dozens more warriors in coney island mm-hmm. because of the way that that opening meeting was structured in that each game send nine people no weapons mm-hmm. so that's that's who was there like there were nine diplomats and there could be an entire enclave of them still with yeah. their I, little maroon vests and i think cyrus says that in total there'd be 60 60 000 soldiers yeah and only and twenty thousand like, cops in the whole damn city <laughs> There's like the Danes, and then he was like, then there's the unaffiliated Danes, and then there's the other people who aren't really in Danes, but they're willing to fight, and yep. like kind of added all that up to get to that number. Yeah. Um, I definitely saw influences from, and these are two genres that I know very little about, so um, uh, I'm, I'm about to kind of start talking about something that I'm not informed on. Ooh, fun. Um, but it, it felt like we were drawing a little bit from black exploitation films okay and kung fu films i can see both of that um, and, and you kind of mentioned a little bit uh you broke up a little bit sorry oh, so I, can, I can see both of that um and you know um pauline kale kind of even mentions it a little bit too with her her description yeah, uh, there was definitely some of the fights were a little bit more street brawl. Everybody's involved, but there were one or two where it was just kind of like all of them together, and then one would run in, and then they'd knock him down, and then another one would run in, and then they'd knock him down, and then you know, kind of one at a time. And in that kind of classic, classic's not even the right word. The the trope of a kung fu fight. Oh, one hundred percent, and um. And I feel like it's just kind of all within the zeitgeist of what was going on in the in in films at the time. And you know, Warriors was a low budget film at the time. They knew the type of theaters it was going to show in, and the audience. You know, this is not like the Warriors wasn't a blockbuster. Blockbusters were barely a thing at this point. But this was not like a, it got press. It got you know. Well, they had pro, pub, uh, promotions and marketing, but once fighting started happening in the theaters, they pulled all of it. Okay. You know, this is the type of f- f- film that would show in, you know, lower budget theaters and, you know, it was, it was made essentially for the youth market. This was not going to play in some, you know, Woody Allen was playing in the big theaters, not something like The Warriors. Right. So it was, you know, tapping into all these genre films, which is the type of stuff that Walter Hill is really interested in. Um, and I will say one thing I actually, I, uh, I've noticed more and more I've watched this film is just without like being gory or anything like that the fil- the fight scenes are all really brutal 
they they are but i agree with what um some of that commentary you mentioned in your intro like they're brutal but in the same way like there's no blood there's mm -hmm. no like there was one point where they had subdued the the baseball team mm -hmm. the was it the furies oh baseball the baseball furies, furies yeah and and then um the the guy that ends up playing uh dexter's stepdad in dexter james remar yeah he he's standing over him with a bat and i was kind of half expecting him to and people were the other his other gang members were watching him to like raise it and just you know coup de gras him but he didn't they were like all right we've subdued them they are wimps we have proven ourselves now let's take these bats and get out of here um, and it i'll continue i i was never like i didn't get the sense that any of them really got hurt yeah but it, it's because of the way that they were portrayed well and the, the way that they were shot and and some of that comes down to the influence of of walter hill he had him he had mentioned uh, and the uh, cinematographer and a couple other people kind of backed this thought process up that he was really inspired by like samurai films and the films of like, Akira Kurosawa and they he kind of wanted to orchestrate some of these you know these fights with these weapons you know treat the baseball bat like a samurai sword yeah you know so the it, way that they're moving that totally with shows. it uh, and you know the way that he shoots it from a from a lower angle and looks up at these people and it's it's limited you know it's you know, you're not just wailing on someone with a bat. You know, a hit or two it will take someone down, and then they're out. And and then you know, post fight, it cuts to the wide shot of showing all you know eight to ten gang members just kind of like on the ground rolling and squirming a little bit. Like mm -hmm. you you don't get the sense that they're not gonna walk home and go, man, I'm gonna w wake up bruised in the morning. But <laughs> boy, is my back tight. Total, like it's um you know they they did what they needed to do they proved themselves and now they get to move on yeah because they won the day like yeah they didn't need to bash anyone's skull in. yeah ever since they, they they made the correlation to the samurai film it's like next time i watch the film i'm gonna be thinking about that far more uh and then like, one thing i even like too it's like normal slow motion in, in film can be very hit or miss yeah, I feel like Walter Hill has a really good sense of how to use slow motion and when, because he'll add shots of slow motion in this film, and I kind of forget they're there. But, and I feel like a lot of times you run into a risk, with do, do, especially doing slow motion in a fight scene, it takes away impact. But he found a way to incorporate slow motion into this film in fight scenes where it actually makes it feel more impactful, like the hits yeah. seem somehow seem to hurt more. Um, and I think they even talk about in, in the, the making of that they were a little unsure about using slow motion in the film because they thought it might be hokey. But once they started doing it, they realized, oh, he's got a very spe he's not just shooting it for the sake of it. He has a very specific idea of how he wants to use it. Right. So, yeah, I just, okay. I, the fight scene choreography. And, I, and that's not normally something I, I look at. It's like I, either I like a you know, fight scene's good or it's, I don't know. I, I guess I never dig too deep into what they're doing in the fight scene choreography. But like, I feel like. I've seen this movie so many times. I'm always constantly impressed by like how the fights feel very well choreographed, but still ugly at the same time. Like I, yeah. I watched the movie and be like, "Oh, that looks like it hurt." <laughs> <laughs> like someone must have like hurt themselves making this movie, right? <laughs> well, one of the guys actually in that bathroom scene with the with the 
uh, come on Eileen gang um like looked like he actually got thrown up against the wall and I'm sure it was like staged glass mm-hmm. but well, like, and, and then the one the guy mirrors. who went through the the bathroom stall I'm like oh <laughs> there, yeah there's there's correct ways you can take a hit take a fall but that's still good that doesn't hurt. mean they don't <laughs> that yeah. doesn't mean they don't still hurt yeah totally yeah it's like you know yeah you can learn how to flip a car properly but you're still flipping a car <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, the stunt the stunt actor Kane Hodder, who also plays like he he put he played Jason in right in, in yeah. a bunch of the films. He I was watching a doc his documentary recently, and he was like uh, he's like I hear he's like I'm very proud of the fact that I've never broken a bone while being a stunt man because he's been a stunt man for a long time. Because he's like I listen to other stunt men who are like proud. I'm like I have broken 200 bones in my body. Well, that means you must not be pretty good at this. <laughs> He's wow, like, I thought, you I thought, should be he, better. He's like, I thought the whole point of this was to not hurt yourself. <laughs> That's why they bring me in. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was all of my notes. That, that's everything on my list. Um, yeah. Like I said, um, I it's I don't I don't know what else to say. I was just gonna say like the yeah. music's really good, but we've talked about that already. And I like I I looked up the. Um, career of the costume designer mm-hmm. and you know not not amazing list but uh bobby something uh i don't know if it's a he or she um they they've done uh several other recognizable films and i just thought that was that was a name that i was looking out for in the credits because the costume design was so interesting mm-hmm. and, that, and then i imagine they had a lot of fun with it yeah oh yeah and like they're just like uh things that i uh like i look for um you know i'm the same way when there's something that kind of draws me into the film it's like i, I look for that person like i looked up the cinematographer because i thought the, the i love the way this movie is shot and andrew laszlo who did it He's done some like noteworthy films, um, but it's nothing like I think like Inner Space. He he's he might be one of his big films. Hold, hold on, you, yeah. There's a conflict of interest there because you said, or you're contradicting yourself. You said he hasn't done any great films. I said he hasn't done many big films. He hasn't done many big films, but he's done Inner Space. Well, and then he also did Star Trek Five. <laughs> oh, I love Inner Space. <laughs> Yeah, so like some of the films he's he he's done, he did Inner Space, he did Star Trek Five, Poltergeist Two, he did uh, uh, First Blood, um, Ghost Dad, which I wouldn't be proud of at all. <laughs> it was much more. It was much easier to enjoy that film ten years ago. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, and then, but yeah, I feel like the costume design is definitely like one of the big. Uh, um selling points of this film and and how they managed to take this film so like how how the filmmakers and the cast took this film so seriously when you're literally battling like going up against like face painted baseball players and mimes and shit in the street like kudos to them because it would have been really easy if they if they had let that seriousness slip one bit i think it really would not have worked and based on how bold they went with the game design 100 percent. and actually the the costume designer is bobby mannix and i remember it actually is a girl or sorry okay. a woman uh and i remember her being on the, the 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 documentary and she was even saying um that 
you know, like the Baseball Furies, they was a, was a fun group for her to design because she said originally it was just guys in baseball uniforms. And then she's like, it's just missing something. And she's like, and then I, like, we were like, well, what can we do to make them differently? And she's like, well, Kiss is really popular. <laughs> and they're like, well, Kiss is really popular. Why don't we put some face paint on them to separate them a little bit? And Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. I was like... I, I just like, I just love it. I, I love just sitting around thinking, it's like, what was the baseball theories thinking? Like, okay, we all really like baseball, or at least we like the look of baseball. Let's dress in baseball uniforms. But what if we were also mimes? Ooh. <laughs> Jerry's we got something. Kind of like Kiss. <laughs> yeah. But not Kiss, because we don't want to get sued. Right. Uh, but no, it's, it's, it's a movie that I... It's kind of like how Ghostbusters is for you, where it's like it's a movie that I, I grew up with and I and I and I love for that reason, and it does have some problematic aspects to it, um, but it's one of those films that it hit me at the right age that it's just kind of stuck with me. Yeah, yep, I didn't see that. Yeah, cool. Was well, there anything else you wanted to talk about, Nick, when it comes to the Warriors? I don't think so. I think uh, that covers it. Again, I was. Um... I was surprised at what the movie turned out to be, and mm-hmm. I was along for the ride the whole time, and I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I, It's a film that I never would have picked up without this show. Um, like I kind of was loosely aware of it, and you know, really all I knew was that line at the end, the warriors come out to play. Mm-hmm. That was about it. That that was what I had to go on. That's and um, with, with that line, I ride the wave of being like, "That's creepy." But then it's like the more he does it, it's like I'm embarrassed for him. It's like I I don't know if I could have like done that on the set. Like I just it's I, I don't know. I think the like it would. How, how do I word it? The the creepiness is also dependent on how dangerous he is and mm-hmm. i think the time like had that line come much earlier in the film i think it might have been creepier mm-hmm. if there was this like stalking element to it mm-hmm. but they weren't the ones really like they weren't the danger that was following them they didn't want to be like they were they had that little scene where they're like we need to get to them first so the secret doesn't get out i, f- I feel like what makes that scene kind of creepy though is the fact that they're back at Coney Island. They're at back at their turf. They're theoretically safe, and this group has has followed them into their own home. the The film certainly tries to make that point. Mm-hmm. I I think by that point, I was not afraid of these people, and I felt like they weren't really either. Like, and they say I'm supposed to be safe. This is supposed to be our turf, but it was more of a get off our turf than a the danger is now here. Mm-hmm. Like, I I did not feel particularly... In, I, I didn't feel intimidated by that group, mm-hmm. especially by that point, and I didn't feel like they were either. Like, I, they I, survived all these other gangs. And then the, like, the creepy guy who doesn't want to really get into conflicts with anyone, like... Yeah. is just trying to wrap up a loose end. I, f- I feel like they could have done a little bit more to make them seem more dangerous by just yes. having them do... You know, yeah, they're doing petty shit, but, like, why must be afraid of a guy whose big accomplishment was stealing candy bars? 
Like, you know, they should have been picking fights. They should have, like, just been a little bit more reckless. Yeah. I do Especially, like, going back to the fact that he is the one with the gun in yeah. this whole... I do absolutely love that somehow a hundred members of the Rift snuck up on them. <laughs> well, that's why they're the best gang. Yeah, like, I just love that they're, like, you know, the whole thing was happening with Luther and he had the, the, the knife in his hand. And yeah. then, like... I, I think one of the members of the Rift said something, and the camera like cuts, and there's a hundred of them there. It's like, how'd you guys sneak up on them? It's in the middle of the day. There's nothing to hide behind. There's, you're, it's a bunch of people with hockey sticks. Which they, I love that they almost all had hockey sticks. And I was like, how did this happen? How did you? How did the, like? Did no one make a sound? <laughs> if if the if a Rift falls on Coney Island, but no one's around to hear it. <laughs> I I I I I just I absolutely love the line just because it feels so like childish where he's like you warriors are good the best I just wanted to be like, I said <laughs> <Yeah>. good <laughs> yeah easy easy there pal <laughs> there are a hundred of us we did sneak up on you let's take it down a notch and just okay? because, because uh, Michael Beck who plays Swan just stares intently the entire time it kind of reminded me of like like one of my dogs when they do something wrong and they're just like. Like, please don't say nothing, please don't say nothing. Like, when he said the best, he's like, oh, God, please don't do it. Right, right. Just, just, let me, just let me have this. Yeah, I need this. It's been a long night. Totally. <laughs> well, I think that's... And been... then they all played on the beach and yeah. skipped in the water together. To Joe Walsh, which is With... great. That's a great song. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. That's a great song. <laughs> oh. And I, I was like, how'd they get Joe Walsh? <laughs> He, he's the Rocky Mountain Way guy. <laughs> but no, I, I love this movie. Um, like I said, it's, it's, it's one of those movies that's, it's, it's, it's very special to me, but it's easy to say that it's really nothing special. There's really very little to it. But I, th- I think there's more to it than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think. It's Again, a, I, w- I was surprised by what it ended up being. Yeah, I, I guess I say it more so as, like, with you being an exception. So it's a movie that I feel like if I were to be like, oh, you need to watch The Warriors, It's there's a good chance I, I could see people come back from it and be like, okay, I watched it and. Like, right. you know, <laughs> some people just not getting it. But I think there's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, next week we or next episode we will be tackling Betty Blue for yeah. our Patreon listener Paul Dieter and I don't know if I, I know I'd, I've done it on some of our bonus episodes I don't know if I ever actually called out that we do have uh, two new patrons uh, I don't think you did uh, we have Stephen Wartruba who is a uh, he he's actually worked security at my old my old Best Buy uh, nice. and a guy he's <laughs> known in high school named Zach Brick they both dropped in at one of the one of the entry levels and. Uh, Wanted to give him a oh, shout awesome. out. Awesome! Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. And um, um, we love our show. Yeah, listeners. like I said, we're at, we're at a point now where uh, we're not paying out of pocket for things. Hey! And I, I've we're been, breaking even. Yeah, we're and I've, breaking I've, even. I've been using all the extra money to boost posts and shit. So nice. like, it's get the word out there. Bring bring some more. And and you know, as, as much as we love our our Patreon subscribers, don't forget like leaving us comments and rating the episodes and stuff helps people find yeah. us too and we if, really appreciate it if you're not able to kick in any money to the patreon we completely understand it, what you can do for us is stay vocal on any of our posts and like rate subscribe review all that good shit helps us out tremendously 
in in some ways that might even help us out more than Patreon. So yeah, well, easy. We still need our we we still need to cover our hosting costs. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Okay, Equal. yeah. It's 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 Equal. it's not as important because we need to po- need we need to host this shit. But uh, but if you're not done with that, then I do have two words for you. What's that, Nick? Watch, Watch movies. movies. <laughs> The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Easton, Maryland, is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers, and is more often than not edited by Michael Byers. Any TV or YouTube versions of the show to date have been edited by Nick Richards, Tyler Hanna, or Dina Volani. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration from Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed, and our new kick-ass logo was designed by Amanda Byers. A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors at Mill Creek Entertainment and Vinegar Syndrome. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links to all these tremendous folks, as well as the show, in the description below. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.